0: Good morning again. Good to see everyone today. I'd like to welcome all of our guests today. If you're a guest here, my name is Ronnie. Thankful that you have decided to come worship with us uh, here at Christ Community today in the back or in here. We've had two great services already. Thankful for that. I'd like to also welcome uh, all those who are watching online. I know a lot of people are watching online right now, but uh, others will watch online during, this, uh, during the week. So you'll check us out there usually before you come in here. So I look forward to meeting you soon in the weeks ahead. Um, if you're here today and you watch this online first, I hope that today's experience is a little better than the online experience, but it's great. I'm su- super thankful that you are here today. If you have your Bible, go with me to Esther chapter 1. Esther chapter 1, we're in a series in Esther. Just open your Bible up to the, to the like right, right in the middle. You'll probably find Psalms and head left a couple books and you'll end in Esther. As you do that, I want to tell you about two things. Uh, the first thing is Next Sunday, February seventh, our service times will change a bit. Uh, we're going go to uh, we've been at three services at three times. We're going to th- three services at two times. So it won't affect this service. Eleven o'clock will remain the same, but the service before this will be at nine thirty. There'll be a service in here at nine thirty and a service in the sanctuary at nine thirty. The service in the sanctuary will be a mask required service. We'll have live worship in there, and it'll be a, a split between live preaching and uh, preaching from our nine 930 service we're going to be putting in there. So like next Sunday, Pastor Stewart's preaching at the 930 service at the mask required service. So uh, if you want to go hear Pastor Stewart preach, I encourage you to go over there at mask required. Uh, I'll be in here at 930 and 11 o'clock. So really thankful for the shifts that we're able to make here and uh, the team that God has assembled here to help us do those things. We've got a great Uh, staff team, and I'm so thankful for them. Can we just give it up for the staff team a little bit here? They do so much. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Awesome. Love it. Second thing is I Love My Church Day is coming up on February 14th, Valentine's Day. And so it'll be I Love My Church Day. It'll be great. It'll be a lot of fun that day. We'll have some Krispy Kreme donuts on your way in and all kinds of opportunities to celebrate God's faithfulness to our church on that day. Um, If you feel like this service may be a little crowded for you, I would encourage you to check out the 930 service. It'll be next week. It'll be a little earlier, but uh, there's a little room in there. So we're super thankful for all the Lord's doing. Let's read together Esther chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. The author writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 10, here we go. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded, let's say these names together, Mehuman, Vistha, Harbana, Viktha, Abigatha, Zether, you guys not going with me? Okay, cool and carcass. little pastor humor here. It's great. You can just read through them real fast. People think you know what you're talking about. It's awesome. <laughs> the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshina, Shethar, Admetha, Karsh, Tarshish, Merez, Marsina, and Mimican, so you guys think I know what I'm doing, the seven princes of Persia and media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs. Then Mimucan said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the pro- peoples who are in all the provinces of King ah- Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she didn't come. This very day, the noble women of and media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath and plenty. If it pleases the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before king Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all, this, all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, and high and low alike." This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Mamukin proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us today. We know that it is for our good for us to hear it, for us to be shaped by it, for us to be changed by it. We pray for your spirit to speak to us today through your word. God, hide me behind it, and we exalt the Lord Jesus today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's remind ourselves of where we've been. Last week, we opened up looking at um, what I said were some theological ground rules on understanding the Old Testament. If you missed that sermon, you can go watch that on our website or YouTube channel. One of those ground rules was that there's this battle going on. From the beginning of time, when you look at Genesis 2, God creates man and woman, and He sets them in the garden, and He puts them together in relationship with Him, perfect relationship with Him, and in relationship to each other. And there in the garden is this beautiful picture of God's perfect plan of marriage and family. And we know you get to Genesis 3, and the serpent enters in, the serpent comes in and he attacks, he he allures, he ple- plays upon their desires, tempting them to leave God's good commands, leave God's good and pleasing plans, and, and they disobey. And in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve disobey God, and God steps in and he comes in and he condemns the serpent, and he gives in Genesis 3.15, what we said was the proto-evangelium, the first gospel, the first good news, and that is this punishment to the serpent that there's going to be this battle between the woman's offspring and Satan. And it's going to look at, look at times like he is biting his heel, but ultimately the offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent. This is the first promise of Jesus to come. So there is this battle going on, and this battle is playing itself out in all of Esther and all the Old Testament It's playing itself out in multiple ways because God's God's designed humans to walk in good relationship with him, but we can't because sin has entered into the world, and and with sin is rebellion. So sin has broken that relationship with God. Sin has broken that relationship between men and women, boys and girls, and marriages. God's design for marriage and family is, is broken, and it's really left in shambles, left in shambles all over the place. Even in our time, it's in shambles think about what happened this week with President Biden signing an executive order that basically gives the right for men who believe they are women to go play in women's sports because they believe in their minds they are women. The dismantling of God's good gift of gender and sexuality. You see another executive order from the highest office in our land signed on abortion rights giving greater access to abortion, more babies, innocent babies murdered in the womb. And when President Trump did things around immigration, I swatted there too, so lest you think I'm leaning one way, I swat where it needs to be swat in the image of God. But don't just think of the highest office in the land. Think about our own culture. I mean, all across the the world, all across America, there were divorces this week. There are men and women living separate from their wives this week. There were affairs this week, even in your own homes. I'm sure across this room, a room this large, there was pornography this week. There was lust this week. There was degradation of humans this week. There was mouthiness this week. There was words this week. We're in shambles. The kingdom of God is in shambles, according to Genesis 3.15. This relationship is broken. When you look back over history and look even to our own culture, even to our own lives, we find this one truth to be true. We want what we want we want what we want we want it our way we want our things this is why we get mad because our kids interrupt us or our, our our wives don't do what we want them to do or our bosses don't let us have it this way we want what we want we want more we want more we want more because we want what we want and those words are the words sin has etched into our hearts from birth from Genesis 3, there's this battle going on. And from the day of our birth, there is a battle going on. And Esther 1, we see a grim picture of this world that we live in today. Look again with me with Esther chapter 1. Let's remind ourselves of what we saw last week. We met King Ahasuerus. This week, we'll call him Xerxes because that's his name. King Xerxes. And we remind ourselves that there is this big party going on. 187 day party the first 180 de- days were dedicated to his nobles and his governors and his royal army it said that king Xerxes had 10,000 soldiers that were kind of like his secret service they had their own name called the immortals see Xerxes thought he was a god he led like a god he sat on his throne like a god he was a ruthless leader anybody that sat on his throne were immediately murdered he held high esteem over himself. And he wanted to make everyone like him. And so he throws this 170-day party. And notice here, we are seeing what's taking place. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king, notice, the heart of the king was merry with wine. This means he is drunk. Merry with wine simply means the dude is wasted. Completely (laughs) wasted here at the beginning of this verse. He's gone. He's just wasted. And everyone there is wasted. Now keep in mind, this party, we saw in verses 1 through 8 that he's throwing parties for the men because verse 9 tells us Queen Bashti holds her own party for the women. So it's only men. It's this big drunken binge frat party of drunken men, maybe somewhere 20 to 30,000 potentially. He's showing off his pomp and his presence and the splendor of his kingdom, and he's sitting on his throne, and he's just flat drunk. And I don't know if you've been around drunk people, but they they, they stumble over their words. They stammer. They don't really know what they're saying. They can't really say things clearly. And he starts making some commands. It's said that these parties were held to endear the people to him so that when he went to war, because he was always trying to expand his kingdom, and in a few years, he would call the people to go to war with Greece at the Battle of Thermopylae to try to overtake them, where he ultimately will lose. But he's trying to get everyone to think, man, this guy is awesome. He wants to be God. Keep reading with me. Remember, he's drunk. He commanded, you can imagine how that goes, probably sitting on on his throne halfway over, hey, everybody, listen to me. Just listen. You can imagine, then you get these guys. We'll just uh, skip over reading their names again. I mean, I could totally do it, but let's just skip it just for right now. Time's sake. And you got seven eunuchs here. Seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus. We'll come back to them in a second. To bring Queen Vashti before the king. This is his command. Bring Vashti. Go get her. Where's she at? Is she with the women? Go, just go get her right now. Bring her in with a royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. First thing I want us to see together is the worldly kingdom of King Xerxes. Pay attention to this world of which King Xerxes is representing before us today. This is the kingdom of man. A few thoughts. The king is drunk. He calls for Vashti, his queen. You see here, there are these eunuchs. So just to give you an idea, for those who were in our uh, act series, you know what a eunuch is. For those who weren't, a eunuch is basically a man who's been castrated. Um, and there's seven of these men who are castrated. And why do they have eunuchs here? Because the king has women, wives, in harems. Multiple upon multiple, hundreds and hundreds of women who are in harems, different levels of harems, because he could basically have whoever he wanted and he had to have these eunuchs take care of the women and serve him. So he had them castrated so that there was no shadiness going on between the wives and the eunuchs, because he did not want to spoil the bloodline, if you get the point, the royal bloodline. And so they were they were castrated. Now, could you imagine his manhood honored in this kingdom? No. Are women honored in this kingdom? When he's talking about hundreds of women, many of which he didn't even know, but he took captive and took as his wife, are they honored in kingdom of man? No. You think children were honored and prized in Persia? No. Not at all. They're not honored. They're not prized. None of these things are honored and prized. Now, after showing off his pomp and his presence, he he says, bring me my woman. And he treats Vashti like a piece of property, like everything else. And the author goes overboard here in highlighting the items that belong to the king. Says in verse 2, his royal throne. He talks about his royal wine in verse 7. He talks about his royal palace in verse 9. He talks about his royal decree and position in verse 19. And in this moment of speaking about the queen, it's like he's presenting his property. Get me the queen and tell her to put on her royal crown. Presumably, according to others who've written about this. When he said, get her royal crown, that's all he wanted her to wear. So imagine here, 30,000 drunk men hanging around, stumbling all over the place. He's like, bring my woman in here and tell her to put on a crown. Seen a bunch of men do this, and I'm sure all sorts of movies and all sorts of ways. Some of you men have been around moments like this where guys are talking about their girlfriend or their wife. Hey, you guys should see my smoking hot wife. You guys should check her out because she's incredibly hot. We talk about women like they they are possessions. This is what King Drunken Moron was doing, wanting all of his buddies to check out his queen, to lust over her, to say, oh man, you are such a lucky guy, King. Look at your wife. Look at your queen, oh yeah, oh. Whether she's underdressed or not dressed, she's there and the men are drunk and it's, it's wicked, it's awful, degrading. And all of this was for one reason. All of this wasn't about Vashti, all of it was about the king. He wanted his glory. He wanted them to say, man, you are so lucky. You are the king of all kings. You are the Lord of all lords. Look, you can have any woman you want. You are the man. This is the kingdom of man. The kingdom of man stands for no one else. No one else's glory but our own glory. And there is a way Christians live, and there is a way non-Christians live, and there is a way of wise living, and there is a way of foolish living, and there is a way to follow Jesus, and there is a way to follow the world. There is a way to treat a woman, and there is a way not to treat a woman. King Xerxes was using Vashti, using her as a spectacle, using her as an object. And outside of these walls, and perhaps within, there are men who only see women as objects, objects to be used, as an object to be manipulated, as an object to be abused for their own selfish gain. Xerxes wanted to parade his queen around for all the men to look at, to parade her around for all of them to lust after, to all of them to be jealous over and to covet what he has. These. 15, 20, 30,000 men would have had their time to look and lust. And today it's the same way. The only difference is it's not Xerxes parading women around before our eyes in his palace, but it's our phones and our tablets parading women around all day long in your own pocket, your own mind, men. See in the worldly kingdom of Xerxes, men abuse and mistreat women for personal gain rather than seeing them as those made in God's image. And you might be saying, Oh, that's, that's not me. I love my wife. But let's see your website history, let's see your Google searches, let's see the DMs in your social media accounts. What if we dropped your TikTok history? or your social media history on the screens today. You might feel the shame that that might bring to you, but lest you forget, the eyes of the Lord are always upon you. The eyes of the Lord are always watching. The eyes of the Lord see every intention of your heart, and He already knows, and you should care much more about that than you do what others think. Are you living a duplicitous lifestyle, saying you're one thing but living another? Are you comparing your wife that God has given you to some other standard of beauty that the television gives you or the movie gives you or some young girl dancing somewhere gives you? Your standard of beauty is your wife, men. There's nobody more beautiful than Marcy Parrott in my eyes because God gave her to me. She's my standard of beauty. I'm comparing everyone else to say, you are not as good as this woman because she's my good gift. She's who God gave me. Are you comparing your wife to other women? Are you seeing her as the woman God chose for you? What standard of beauty are you comparing her to? And if it's anything less than God's good gift to you, then repent. Brothers, if you are looking at things you should not be looking at, repent. If you are taking advantage of women, personally, publicly, pretendingly, stop it, repent, unplug the computer, delete the app, confess, and repent. That's the plea. It's ungodly, and it's worldly, and it's wrong. Let's keep going. Verse 12, but Vashti, Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. Now, keep this in mind. She said no Vashti says, I ain't going in there. You guys are crazy. I'm not going in there. Let me ask you women, what would you do in this situation? Your husband called you to come to a party, to be prepared around and lusted after you? Some of you men may have have said, hey, we're going out with the the guys now. Hey, put on that scandalous dress. Put on that skimpy dress. Hey, put on the one you look like because you want to, parade your wife around? What if, what if you were asked to do these things? Would you oblige your husband's request or refuse? Some would have condemned her for refusing. Some would have said, you know, good for her. Some would have said, I can't believe she didn't obey her husband. Martin Luther used this text to uphold that women should always obey their husbands. Look what Vashti does. She says, no, she refuses to go to the drunken frat party to be treated like an object. You know what I say to her? Good for her. Good for her. No woman deserves to be mistreated like that. No woman deserves to be abused. Now I would tell each and every woman here today, if your husband was actively abusing and mistreating you and asked you to do something that would harm you or bring shame upon you, then I'd tell you to look him straight in the face and tell him no. You are a woman worthy of honor, not an object. And young girls, any boy that's trying to creep up on you and telling you things, or whatever, you just need to look him in the eye and say, no. Talk to my daddy. That's right. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, I'll, I'll say this. Some, some women have been mistreated and abused here. Some of you have been taken advantage of by men and it's wrong, whether it's like a father or a grandfather or an uncle or a boyfriend or someone you thought you could trust and you were taken advantage of when you were younger or maybe you're in a relationship now that is hurting and that should never happen to you. And I'm sorry it happened to you. It's not right. It's unfair. It's wrong. And sin has consequences. Sin brings real brokenness and real hurt and real pain. And I'm sorry you have to deal with it. And I want you to know that God knows all your pain and all your brokenness and all your sadness. And he loves you and he wants you and he welcomes you and he wants to heal you. Now, you can find healing and help here today. I'll encourage you, if that's you, if you're in a situation, if you're watching online, you're in a situation, if you're here today in your situation or you want help, you can just reach out in front of you, grab one of our response cards and just write your name and a phone number and check help. And one of our pastors will call you completely confidentially and we will help you. I promise you we will help you so you have a way of escape. It's important here that we see this worldly kingdom that abuses women, and castrates men, and all these things. See, in the worldly kingdom of Xerxes, wealth and personal gain and excess are cherished over humility. The kingdom of Xerxes, addictions are fed until there is no sanity left. Men are abused, and they mistreat women for personal gain. The worldly kingdom of Xerxes, marriage is treated like it's nothing, and children are a burden. And all the glory goes to man, not to God. Vashti says, no. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Could you imagine being the eunuch? Like, hey, uh, which one of us is going to tell the king? She said, no. I don't. You do it. At this, the king, his emotions get the best of him, and he becomes enraged. You know, he's drunk already. There's nothing like an angry drunk person. Those guys end up in jail. And sure enough, here we find him angry and drunk. All the power, think about this, all the power and all the kingdom. All the authority, all the pomp, but his own wife won't obey him. What a sign of disrespect. What a sign that he doesn't have respect in his own home. Look where it goes, verse 13. Then the king said to the wise men, who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment. So alongside the king are these seven thrones of basically his cabinet members. They're all sitting there with them, and he turns to them and he says well, let's skip their names again. According to the law, what is to be done with to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of and he speaks to himself in the third verse, the third person, King Ahasuerus, delivered by the eunuchs. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. So their concern is, man, this is This is getting out of control. This guy, Mamukin, steps up and basically says, we need to get ahead of this. We need to fix this, and here is the plan. This is going to be devastating to our own authority. If Queen Vashti can say it to the king, well, then our wives could say it to us, and we don't want them to say it to us. And so he keeps going. If it pleases the king— Let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repealed repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before the king. Notice the humor in all of this. One act becomes an international act. Vashti refuses to come in the presence of the king and her punishment is that now she can't come into the presence of the king. It's just So ironic. These wise men are called because the king can't control his wife with a decree, and so their answer is to try to control all the women in the empire with the same decree. The wise men are concerned that the word about what Vashti did will get out to all their wives, and so they write about it, and they send it out so that all the wives will hear about it. They do all these things because they're all drunk fools. When the king requests Vashti's presence and doesn't receive it, he gets angry. But when he requests for legal advice from his counselors and doesn't receive it, he is pleased. This whole thing is written so that you and I will see the folly and worldly power and the folly and worldly wisdom. It's all foolishness. There is, this is no mistake. Notice now what the Lord does. So w- this whole book is written about Esther. We're a chapter in. We haven't even met Esther yet but she's about to pop in, but God wants us to see what he is doing to orchestrate his plan, because now there's a crack. It's a crack in the story, and it's right here, verse 19. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. There's a spot now where God is seeing the Jews who are in captive, And he's about to raise up his sovereign deliverer who would all of a sudden become queen. It's this incredible picture what God is doing behind the scenes. Let's keep going. Verse 20, we're almost done. Then Mamukin said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials. So with this one offense that queen has done against the king, do it against the king, you did it against me. You did it against all of us all the officials and all the peoples who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus because he is God, he is the Lord. This advice pleased the king and the princes and the king did as Mamukum desired. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script and to every people in its own language that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. See, when the letters were written from the king, they came as if they were from God himself. They were to be obeyed. They were to be listened to and followed. It translated the king's words in all the languages of the kingdom, sent to all the provinces, the word of the great king, who can't even command his own wife. They were written as if it was the word of God to be obeyed. But this king's not respectful or respectable at all. He's not worthy of respect. Anyone that has to demand respect is not deserving of respect. You don't get the respect. Integrity gives you your respect. And maybe you're here today and you feel like that. You feel like my wife doesn't respect me, my kids don't respect me, because whether you screwed up, you messed up, you worked too much, you were lazy, you were a bad dad, you were a bad husband, or whatever. Or maybe you're a woman here today and you feel like, man, my husband doesn't honor me, doesn't want to be around me, because I, whatever, I messed up, I broke, broke up the family, I battered the husband, I tore him down or continue to tear him down with my my mouth. See, in the world of kingdom, uh, the worldly kingdom of Xerxes, the the world of man, there is no, like, hope. This is why you see divorce, divorce, divorce. That's why you see affair after affair after affair, because there is no help for sinful choices and broken people. Broken people try to fix their brokenness with more brokenness. And in the world of kingdom, there is only more guilt and only more brokenness. There is only loneliness and only shame. But there is a better kingdom. That brokenness in Genesis 3... God sent his son Jesus to crush the head of Satan, to live a perfect life, to die the death we deserve to die, to be buried for us, to raise to life so that we can be forgiven. So in Jesus's kingdom, sins are forgiven, broken things are put back together. This is the better kingdom of King Jesus. See, in Jesus's kingdom, prodigals are welcomed home and the homeless find a home. The hungry are fed, the blind gain sight, the lame walk, not cast off as worthless. In Jesus' kingdom, men, women, and children are treated rightly and honorable in the Lord. Marriage is honored. Husbands serve and love their wives unto themselves, and women respect and honor their husbands. In Jesus' kingdom, grace and mercy abound for every person, for any person that would come to God in all of our mess, in all of our sin, in all of our brokenness. Grace and mercy abounds for you. If you would repent of living for your kingdom, God would save. God would heal. Notice that the king never repents. King Xerxes doesn't repent. He is pleased by those who tell him exactly what he wants to hear. He wants what he wants, just like so many of us. It's a picture. We're looking at a man in chapter 1 who was indeed just like us. We want what we want. We want it in our time. We want it in our way. We want, you know, when we don't like the wife of our older age, we just get rid of her and go get a younger one. Taking things into our own hands. Give me more, more, more. We misuse and take advantage. We build our lives unto ourselves. But listen, Jesus has a better kingdom. See, worldly powers exploit people for selfish gain, but Jesus sacrifices for His people's eternal gain. Worldly powers offer satisfaction that is temporary, but Jesus gives us eternal satisfaction. Worldly powers are ultimately powerless, powerless because Jesus holds all the power. See, this story is not a story about a drunken king or some rebellious feminist in Vashti. No, it's a story about a greater king in a greater kingdom. It's a story that Jesus is, has, is coming to rescue people from the brokenness. This book is written toward the end of the Old Testament, which means there are 400 years of silence before Jesus lands on the scene. And the question the Jews are asking is, where is the king? Surely there's gotta be a better king. Surely there's gotta be a better kingdom. God promised it. This guy, Xerxes, is a disaster. There has to be a better king, and today we cannot be as those who are tempted to settle for lesser kings and lesser kingdoms like the Jews did. We can't be tempted to settle for lesser kings and lesser kingdoms. It doesn't matter who is in the monarch or the presidency, England or America or wherever. We cannot be those who give our hearts over to these men and women who demand our allegiance and promise things they cannot fulfill. We ask again, where is this king? Where is Xerxes? Well, he's dead and gone. His his throne is gone. He's gone with his laws and his decrees, with his palace and his gold couches. He's gone with his goblets and his wine. He was but a shadow of a better king and a kingdom pointing to a better one, a one with a king on the throne who will never leave it. Because remember, see, in Jesus' kingdom, forgiveness is given to sins. Sins aren't fed, but are forgiven. In Jesus' kingdom, we get a new heart, a new nature, not the old rotting one of the world. In Jesus' kingdom, His words are read and obeyed, not burned and gone, like the words of King Xerxes. In Jesus' kingdom, He gives us what we need, not what we want. He gives us real, lasting hope, not false hope. In Jesus' kingdom, His people are never banished from His presence, unlike Xerxes who banishes Vashti and others. In Jesus' kingdom, unlike Xerxes, who parades his wife t- in a degrading way, Jesus, oh listen, Jesus at the end of time will parade his bride, his church, you and I, spotless, pure in his glory for all to see. This is my bride worthy to look at, because Jesus is. He did that for us. He came for you, and He cleaned you up, and He fixed your brokenness, and we must not reject that and rebel and live in it. We must understand that in Jesus' kingdom, He sits high and exalted, risen from death, ascended into glory forever upon His throne, and in Jesus' kingdom, His people will rise to be with Him forever, unlike Xerxes, whose kingdom is dead forever forever punished, forever banished from God because of their refusal to repent. Xerxes' kingdoms come to an end, but Jesus's will never come to an end. And the question for you today is to which kingdom are you living for? Which kingdom is it that you are living for? A kingdom that mistreats women, takes them as your own just to get your own pleasure from them? A kingdom that rejects your marriage because your husband or your wife just doesn't get you, doesn't give you what you want. A kingdom that says, I want to build my life here on earth. Or a kingdom that says, all of me belongs to all of him and your word matters more than anything else. And living for you and sharing this message, this gospel for this world matters more than anything this world has to offer. Do you know this king today? Do you know him? Men, do you know Jesus? Seriously, like not just you prayed some prayer one day and you were baptized because whatever. Do you know him? Did you possess him in your heart? Not just confess him. Do you possess the living God, Jesus Christ? If not today, come to him. Come to him today, come to him, come to him. Repent, don't refuse, come to him today. He loves you, he came for you, he died for you, he gave his life for you, will you come to him, men? Nothing I would want more for the men in this room to come to Jesus. Nothing your wife would want more, your children to know, to, to want more. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. Come to Jesus. And women, there's a father who is better than your father. There's a husband that's better than your husband. There's a man that's greater than any man ever lived. His name is Jesus, and he loves you. He wants you. Do you know him? Do you know the security that he brings? Do you know the forgiveness that he brings? See, Jesus welcomes us into his presence despite our rebellion. He died for us despite our selfishness, and Jesus saves us despite our worldliness. Will you come to him today? Even as we sing of this deep love of God today, our band's going to lead us right now in this song. Our pastors are going to be down front, And I want to ask you right now, here in a second, we're going to stand up. When I say stand up, we're going to stand. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, you come to one of these pastors today. If you need to come pray and repent today, you come to Jesus today and do that. Will you come today? Will you come today to King Jesus?